You're listening to the Software and Technology Podcast on MarketScale. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. It's no secret that blockchain has emerged to become a disruptive technology in our world. The possibilities of its use are not limited to cryptocurrency, which may be a common misconception. Its core foundation of decentralization makes it ideal for data-driven optimization. Today, specifically, we will be discussing its use with data science and how blockchain can and eventually will transform data science as we know it. Let's find out how the emergence of blockchain and data sciences can open up a new frontier for machine learning and AI applications for using the past to predict the future. Joining us today to talk about his experience is Luciano Pesci, CEO at Emperitas. Hey, Luciano. How's it going? It's going well. So, PhD, a professor of economics and the CEO of Imperitas, a business intelligence solution that combines data science, agile market research, and economics. Both academically and professional, Luciano has worked closely with blockchain, and as a futurist, he's particularly well positioned to talk about his topic. And I'm very excited to talk about it with you. This is also, what, the fifth time you've been on MarketScale? Yeah, we, we've blown past the hat trick. I was excited at the hat trick. Let's keep going. Yeah, we, we have to go for a double hat trick now. I wonder, yeah. uh, I think we should start giving out awards for this stuff. I will happily be <laughs> the honorary first recipient of that award. There you go. Uh, so you've come on before and talked about blockchain and its effects in uh, all different industries. So today I wanted to specifically talk about its effect on data science. Uh, but before we begin, I wanted you to give us a brief overview of blockchain in your own words and data science. So I think in one of the past podcasts, I talked about the origins of data coming from government. And that's because traditionally it was very hard to even collect data, to even aggregate the kind of information. And then throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and really into the 2000s, the collection of data was no longer the issue. And now it was, how do you actually process all of this massive information. So traditional statistical approaches broke down when you had these massive data sets. And this is where data science as a discipline came, uh, data science as a discipline came to the forefront. And it really has two components, the data engineering side. This is people who are setting up pipelines, storing data, getting access to that data to people. And then there was the, what most people think of when they talk about data scientists, the programmers and statisticians who then extract insights from that. Now, blockchain really affects that engineering side. And I'll get into why I think it's going to have to revolutionize data science as well. But blockchain is really about the engineering of databases. And so a blockchain, for those who aren't familiar, really has a few components that they should understand. One is that it's actually a merging of an old technology, which is the accounting ledger system, with new technology, specifically information decentralization. And so any one block has a couple components. It has a hash, and that's done through a cryptographic algorithm. So most of this is SHA-256 encryption developed by the NSA. Very hard to reverse engineer, results in a string of 32 bytes. It's unique, and that, that hash represents the block on the chain. Now, a, a block will, off, will also reference a past block in the chain. And within the block, it will have all the transactions of that ledger. And so with those three components, you can trace all the way back to the very first block, every transaction that's happened. So from a data engineering and structuring standpoint, it is incredibly transparent. It is incredibly complete. It is far more validated than other sort of traditional databases. 
And this is why blockchain as a technology is set to take over the world. The most famous example that people are familiar with right now is in cryptocurrency. So everybody's heard about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is based on the blockchain technology. You can watch this data in real time. There's a great website called bitbunkers.com where you can watch. We're on the 530-something thousandth block in the blockchain. So every block is going to reference previous blocks. All the transactions are within those blocks. And you can trace every single transaction in Bitcoin all the way back to the Genesis block. And one of the important questions with blockchain is the trade-off between security and speed. And this comes down to who has access to the network. How decentralized is the network? And then how much information has to be passed within each block over time? And so that trade-off between speed and size and security is really what comes down to then whether you're going to take a public blockchain approach or a private blockchain approach. I mean, what's the difference between public and private then? It really it comes down to who has access to the network. Okay. And most of the examples right now are public blockchains. You can get on, there's no barrier to getting onto it for you. If you maybe have some really sensitive data that you're using for blockchain technology, a lot of organizations that are starting to look at blockchain initiatives. So it's interesting because within the financial sector, within the healthcare sector, these are organizations that are actively looking into blockchain technology and they just don't want anybody to know it. And it's not really for a competitive advantage. They're not doing, they're not doing that to try to stay two steps ahead of their competitors. I think the motivation in most cases is that when you say the word Bitcoin, people immediately think crime. And so people associate cryptocurrencies with blockchain, even though they are separate technologies. One is just using the other. And so I think these organizations are a little concerned that if they broadcast to the world that they're working on Bitcoin, or I'm sorry, if they broadcast the world that they're working on blockchain technologies, that the public will then interpret that as, oh, they're going towards a crypto solution. Interesting. And you just think that's because there's just a general misunderstanding? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Every, you know, just go talk to your friends. Just bring up the word blockchain in your own personal <laughs> network and you will hear the word Silk Road and human trafficking and, uh, you know, illegal drug purchases. And they really miss the point because there is a uh, there is a government contracted organization called Chainalysis who is doing data science on blockchains right now, specifically on the Bitcoin blockchain. And they're using a 2014 MIT Harvard paper called Bitcoin Transaction Graph Analysis. And the idea was, how could you take something like the blockchain, which has a level of anonymity to it? You can see a wallet address, but you might not know who owns that wallet. And so if you are concerned that it's being used for nefarious purposes, you want to be able to trace who controls that wallet. Mm -hmm. And so that white paper that was put out by Harvard and MIT proposed the solution for using publicly available information. So this is a very common data science approach. You go to the public domain, the internet, you crawl pages, you scrape the information, you compile it into a traditional database, you're centralizing all that information, and then you try to match up either perfectly through public information or predictively through some sort of statistical algorithm who is the owner of any one wallet. And then from there, you do network analysis and you start to figure out, well, who was it that sent money to this wallet that we believe was involved with crime? Now, Chainalysis came out, I think it was last year, with an analysis of the Bitcoin ledger, and they found that less than 1% of Bitcoin was being used to send to dark sites. So sites that are off the internet where they clearly don't want you to see what you're doing. There's an assumption there that whatever that is is probably illegal, but it is a tiny fraction 
of the transactions that again, if you go to bitbonkers.com and you're watching these transactions happen in real time, less than 1% of them are clearly involved in any sort of criminal activity. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think you're right. When you talk to people about it, like the immediately when you hear Bitcoin, it immediately goes to uh, something illegal or, you know, just the confusion, I guess. Um, but I mean, it's the importance of it is, is just so prominent I mean, as you were as you were talking about. So let's um, go back to uh, how it's transforming data science. So to understand the way in which it's, it is currently and will in the future transform data science, it's really important to understand that blockchain is a very different approach to databasing information. So the traditional database today, if you're part of any sort of organization that has a database, more than likely it is a relational database. It's some sort of SQL-based, centralized, tabled, structured data sets. And from that, you can run queries and you can extract information. And there is someone who will architect that database. There is someone who will guard that database, an admin who issues user rights and privileges. And those individuals act as a stopgap measure to the security of the database. Because if you have access to it, you have access theoretically to all the information. And this is why when someone like Home Depot or someone like Target or someone like Uber or any of these other organizations that have uh, found themselves at the center of a data breach. The reason that it's such a problem is once you have access to that system, you have access to everything. And so that's because of the nature of centralization. And all of data science has been built to this point on the centralization of information. So traditional data science tools of the last decade, things like Hadoop and Spark, they are still about how do you get these massive amounts of data into one place that you can run traditional types of data science, traditional kinds of algorithms, classifications, supervised, unsupervised learning. And all of that requires that the information is in one place. Now, when you start to talk about a decentralized ledger, like what blockchain is based on, you have a very different problem. And right now, most of the solutions that are trying to bridge that gap, they basically just take decentralized information and convert it into centralized information. I mean, how is it going to change like heavy research and software development and overall like AI machine learning? Well, blockchain is just a more efficient way of getting information. So it one of the best quotes that I've heard was from Alethio. And they said that the blockchain represents the collective memory of its user base. So when you talk about data science, what you're really trying to figure out is what has happened in the past as a means of predicting the future. And blockchains represent these little little worlds or little economies. So I'm an economist, and there's a lot of talk right now within economic circles about how blockchains, rather than traditional databases, represent many economies. And you will often hear people who are talking about blockchain and in the crypto space refer to their project as a mini economy, a self-contained economy. And that's because you have four components. You have agents. These are the individuals who are participating in the network. You have environments, the network itself. You have rules, governance, about who can do what, who has what kind of access, what control looks like, what voting has to be used to get consensus, what a proof of work is. And then you have incentives that are built into the system. And this is called in the term, the term that is used in the crypto world to describe this is code is law. That's the phrase that they love to put out there. That the code of the system itself which is actual computer code, is the law. And so you have rules about what can or cannot be changed to that law. But the point is that it functions in a very structured way. And so because of that, I think Alethio is correct. It does represent the collective memory of its user base. 
the Bitcoin ledger, which has two pieces. It has the blockchain, meaning every block and all the way back to the Genesis block, the whole chain of them. But then you have the transaction chain within the blocks. Collectively, those two things show you how every single Bitcoin has come into existence, where it came from, where it went, how it's moved around, how many times it's moved around. You don't really have that kind of transparency in traditional data sets or traditional databases. So when you start to go back to like machine learning or AI applications, this just opens up a whole new frontier because the time component of the data is so rich relative to traditional databases. Often with the database, you have updates and they, in some cases, are writing over past versions. And so you may just be destroying data as you go along. Or you might have that data, but it's spread out in different ways and often mm -hmm. it's hard to put back together. And so uh, the idea of turning a machine learning algorithm or an AI on this kind of a system, it's equivalent to turning it on to the entire economy. So think about everything that's happened in the United States with GDP, let's say even over the last 10 years. So every transaction, every product sold, every service given, if you had that data to turn an AI on versus turning it on to little subcomponents within that economy, you'd get very different kinds of predictive power. And so because they are these self-contained little economies, mm -hmm. they represent the ability to use that collective memory of the past to have some very highly precise predictions of the future. So fascinating. Because of this decentralization uh, and just the nature of the data, I mean, it's the data files are large, right? Yeah, the Bitcoin ledger is both pieces, the blockchain and the transaction chain in total is approaching 200 gigabytes, which there are other data sets that are far larger than that. There are people who are dealing with peta petabyte data sets. But as a blockchain itself, it's a very large file. This is mm -hmm. true of a lot of other data files that are tied to blockchain. So Ethereum is a totally different blockchain from, from Bitcoin. And Ethereum probably represents more of the future and more of what's possible with data science moving forward than Bitcoin. Bitcoin had a very narrow use case. It really was meant to be a digital currency. Ethereum has really been built to function as a input, as a tool in the factor, a factor of production is a term economists would use, a tool that you would use to create new businesses. And so if you've heard the term smart contracts, that's usually in reference to Ethereum, and that's because you can use their blockchain and their system to then create these smart contracts, which are those things around governance and environments and incentives. And there's been this whole second wave of, of cryptocurrencies, but also just businesses, utility tokens is a term that they often use to describe this, that are businesses built on this blockchain. And they use that blockchain and its code as law to function as a business. There's a whole business behind it. They have their own marketing teams. They have their own operations teams. It's not just a currency. The currency is a component of their business model. But again, it means that everything about their business model is now traceable. I mean, in this traceability, I mean, is that good for businesses or is that good for everyone else to kind of do like a checks and balances? I think it depends on your political yeah, means. Definitely. There are some people who want the anonymity that comes along with something like cryptocurrency or blockchain, where you have total control over your component. And in the end, they may or may not be able to predict who you are, but they definitely can't control it. You control it. And I think in that way, there is, there's a lot yeah. to be said about the value that that's going to add to the future. You should be able to control things uh, like your wealth, like your property, 
you should be able to have transparency into things like where your food came from, the kinds of products that were being used to build the final goods and services that you receive. That kind of transparency is great. There are also people who are saying, this is going to create a system where every single thing is open to the public view, and maybe I don't want that. And so I think from the government side, they're very interested in how this technology is going to revolutionize the financial sector. I think there are certain industries like real estate, healthcare, where data records are so important because they are tied to ownership. So if there really needs to be clear trust in a system and accountability in a system, that's where blockchain has a lot of value. And I think this is why it was two or three years ago, I think it was 2015, the World Economic Forum said that they called blockchain one of the six future mega trends. It wasn't just something about the future, it was one that's going to drive a huge portion of the future. And that same group, the World Economic Forum, also said that smart contracts specifically will by 2027 represent 10% of global GDP, which is massive. Because right now, global GDP is about $80 trillion. So if you continue the same growth path for another decade, what are we going to get to? $100 trillion? So we're talking about a $10 trillion market around smart contracts, most of which are probably built on the Ethereum blockchain. Now, there will be other competitors that emerge, other blockchains that try to compete with Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are the two main ones right now. But either way, this is an emerging trend that's only going to grow. And you can see this in other places too. So Upwork, the uh, if, you, if you're familiar with Upwork, it is a jobs freelance kind of gig economy market. And they track things like what kind of jobs are being posted, what kind of skill sets are in demand. And the top of the list of the fastest growing skill sets from the first quarter of 2018 was about blockchain. And within the top 20, a whole bunch are about blockchain related technologies. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's it's crazy to see. I mean, especially the just the uprising of it and where it's going. Um, so what do you think is standing in the way? Like, I know we talked about like um, the large data, for example, and maybe technological capabilities might not be there right now. But are there other things that are standing in the way of this? I think it is like any emerging market. So to try to to try to judge where it's at right now as a prediction of where it will go is going to be kind of hard. So if you think back to the internet, and a lot of people, blockchain enthusiasts, often point this out. If you tried to predict what the internet is today based on what it was like in the mid-90s before and during the uh, dot-com boom, when the main players were people like AOL or Ask Jeeves or some of these things that just don't even matter anymore, it's pretty hard to... You, you would have had a very hard time at that point in in the history of the world of saying, well, I think that social media is going to be this driving force in technology. We're going to use it to look at pictures of each other's food. And we're going to look at it as a way to communicate in real time globally. And some of those use cases just, they weren't things people were imagining at the time. And I think that's true of most technology. And I think this is also why to go back to something we were talking about earlier. I think this is also why people fear these technologies. They don't have a clear vision of where it's going to go. And that uncertainty leads to a lot of fear. And so as far as what's the main thing standing in the way right now, I think it is that most data science has been built on the idea of centralization. So all the tools that you would be able to bring to bear right now on any of this blockchain technology are really spillovers from a world of centralization and databases and just not the same kind of core technology. And so I'll give you some examples. Uh, there's the BitBlock Explorer, which is like a, a browser-based way to interact with some of these databases, some of these, uh, sorry, some of these blockchains. 
You have Abe, which is a mix of Python and SQL. You have Neo4j. I mentioned Alethio for Ethereum. Even Google's BigQuery has just added the Ethereum blockchain to their tools. So you can go in there and you can look at it. But all of those things take a decentralized world of data, put them into some centralized form so that existing other tools can be used to understand it. And I think that this is where there's going to have to be a shift. And I think some of it is happening right now. I know of a few projects where people are trying to develop whole new approaches to data science, whole new approaches to machine learning, whole new approaches to artificial intelligence that do not require that prerequisite of centralization. And this is where application programming interfaces, APIs, are really important. A decade ago, there weren't a lot of APIs. Software was a standalone thing. And the ability for software to start to communicate with other software started to happen. And I think that you're seeing some of that with blockchain. When will we move to a world where different blockchains can communicate with each other? Right now, you're either on the Bitcoin blockchain or you're on the Ethereum blockchain. And there are some connectors that will help you move between the two. This is the role of exchanges in the cryptocurrency markets but they don't really play well together. And I think that you could look at where we're at from a software standpoint and say, 10 years ago, it was very disjointed, unconnected, hard to maneuver information around. And that's, pro that's a good guide of where we're at right now with blockchain. So in my mind, the next wave of technologies will have to figure out how to start taking information from across blockchains and then start doing data science in a distributed nature. So these systems are decentralized by nature. If all, we do, if all we try to do is then fit them into the square peg into the round hole and say we're going to keep making them centralized in order to analyze them, I think that that's always an un, it's going to prove to be an inefficient step. And what I think will happen is that whole new distributed types of data science are going to emerge. And that's where we're going to see scale effects that we just didn't imagine possible. Interesting. So uh, just as like an overview, um, I mean, just talking about resistance, for example, I mean, I know we talked about what's standing in the way, but are there like specific people or like governments and stuff that are are resisting this? Or do you see like a backlash towards this uh, innovation? The global sentiment towards cryptocurrency is sort of meh right now. There are some countries that are just openly opposed to it. There are some countries that are openly embracing it. And then I think the mass are somewhere in the middle. And you can see this at the government level. You can even see this at the large organizational level. So famously, about eight months ago, Google said, we will no longer allow anything crypto-related to advertise on our AdWords platform. You can't run AdWords, uh, AdWords advertising for anything crypto-related. Facebook quickly followed suit and said, yeah, you can't use Facebook ads to do anything for crypto. Then they quickly went back on that and said, look, well, we are going to analyze each ad one for one. Google just last week announced that in the United States and Japan, they're going to start to allow some of these ads again on their AdWords platform. And I think that that tension within organizations is a reflection of the uncertainty at the government level about what this technology is and what this technology and how this technology is going to be treated. One of the common patterns in the history of the economy, globally or even nationally, is that technology always leads law. So law lags behind technology. And I think within blockchain, this is why the idea that code is law is slightly wrong. Because one of the lessons of human history is that law, yes, it lags technology, but it does adapt over time. And so in any new emerging technology, there's a lot of uncertainty around how it's going to be treated legally. 
And then that starts to get standardized. That's happening faster with blockchain than it has with some of the previous technologies that have emerged. But some nations are just openly courting these blockchain-based technologies, specifically cryptocurrencies. So Malta is a really good example. It's a little tiny island nation. And they are out there saying, we're basically sky's the limit when it comes to blockchain and crypto. There are other countries that have just outright banned it. And if you go to, not to do a shameless plug, but here we go. If you go to imperitas.com, so that's E-M-P-E-R-I-T-A-S.com forward slash decentralized, we've aggregated some of this data. So we're using data from CoinMarketCap. We're using data from a GitHub repository where white papers for all of these crypto cryptocurrencies have been stored. And we look at the market cap of the top 100 cryptocurrencies and what their geolocation is if they have one. Meaning there's some organization behind it or some foundation behind it. And we plot those. There's a Tableau visualization that you can play with. You can see where they're at in the world with their market share. But they're also color-coded based on the level of either acceptance or hostility to this technology in that nation and in that region. And you will see there's just no clear pattern right now. And it's changing rapidly. We update that dashboard every single week, in part because the market caps fluctuate so much, but also because one week South Korea is saying no more ICOs, and a week later they're saying some ICOs. And that kind of rapid change is just expected at this emergent stage of a technology like blockchain. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And also that's really interesting what you guys are doing uh, on the website. I mean, traditional data science has always been based on centralization. You're predicting and the way it's going, it's moving towards decentralization, right? Yes. Getting everyone on board and just seeing that movement, uh, I just personally find it fascinating. I mean, you've been working in it and you've been seeing it I'm sure longer than most people. Well, I would say that to figure out where we're going, you really need to look at first principles. So what are the underlying principles that guide some of these things? Because I don't think you can look at any one technology or any one company and say they're going to be the leader, they're going to do X, Y, and Z. I think instead you have to start to look at things like, well, what's been happening with the pace of technological change over time? So a lot of the methods right now that are being used in machine learning They've been around for a long time. They've been around for 40 years. But computationally, it was just too difficult to do. And so you had theory that was written up by academics, sometimes implemented by governments because they are often at the forefront of this because they don't often have the same kind of budget constraints as maybe an organization. And it took decades for this kind of technology to emerge. And it required you know, interconnectivity. So you had to have the rise of the internet. You had to have the fallen price of computing resources and storage resources. You had to have the simultaneous rise of software development. It took all of those things to make what we now consider data science possible. And if you remember, even five, 10 years ago, one of the big talking points was everybody was saying how they were going to solve the big data crisis. And really, it was just a computational issue. It was just that the ability to store data had so far outpaced the ability to then extract it in a centralized way and analyze it. It only took a, it really only took a few years for that problem to go away. Think back even to 2000 with Y2K, right? With the everything's going to go down because the computer code's not written the right way. People solve those problems very quickly. And I think that anything that faces blockchain as an obstacle right now today, one of the things that you can be certain about is that those solutions are going to emerge far quicker 
than anything in the past decade, two decades, or three decades. And it's going to be individuals or teams of three to five people who might be working on solutions on their spare time after work at home while they're going to college who are transforming this world right now. Go look at the leaders, the thought leaders in blockchain and crypto, and you're going to find that they're all 20-something, early 30-something. Many of them are millionaires or billionaires because they invested their time and resources into things like mining Bitcoin in 2011 on their little HP home laptops. And now suddenly they are flush with cash and they are, they are taking that money and they're putting it right back into developing the technology. And so those first principles of people who are highly motivated to create new technologies and people who have the funding and don't have the fear that traditional businesses have had, they're the ones to watch because they will, they will develop things in the course of months that even a few years ago might have taken years. So the pace is accelerating. I think that the technology is going to improve exponentially. And I think that ultimately blockchain is a more efficient system. And in a market economy, efficiency is God. And for those reasons, I think the World Economic Forum is correct that 10% of global GDP in a decade is probably going to be a gross understatement. Have me back in 12 years and we'll assess that value. Yeah, it'll be your 20th, 20th time at that point. <laughs> We'll have to get you another award. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, no, everything everything in between with that. I mean, it's there's something comforting about it. And also, it's, it's going to be very interesting to watch. So thank you again, Luciana, for coming on. You're welcome. I look forward to the next one. <laughs> yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's software and technology podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. See ya.